We are nearing the end. I hope you will not say amen there. It's been a good book, but I'll be honest with you, it's tough to teach all the way through the book of Isaiah. But I have enjoyed it. We come to the 65th chapter, and the Lord is responding to the prayer of the faithful remnant that started in chapter 63, 63, 63 excuse me, and extended through 64 in verse 12. In this, he repeats his warnings of judgment. Now, one of the things that we must be cautious as we study the book of Isaiah is a lot of the book of Isaiah deals with Israel. We are not Israel. We are the church. There are some who believe that the church has replaced Israel and we have become a spiritual Israel. Romans 9 through 11 makes it very clear that God is not finished with Israel and the church is distinct from Israel. I have a very good friend who's a very good Christian. He loves the Lord. And he and I differ on this. He argues back and forth. We argue back and forth. And he is one to which we can argue and it not become personal or, or, uh, or not. But one of the things that is pervasive in my mind that keeps me grounded as we read through this is there are several events that clearly have not happened. If you take the stance that these events happened in A.D. 70 as some who do in replacement theology, then you've got a problem. You've got a major problem because a lot of these events didn't happen and if they didn't happen and you declare that they happened in A.D. 70, then someone's wrong. And it's not the Word of God. We come to this text and... It, it, there is application to us. It is towards Israel. It was given to the prophet Isaiah. God is the one speaking. He is giving it to the prophet Isaiah. But in his first verse, he gives a glimpse to us. One of the few places in the Old Testament where there is a glimpse of the church in the dispensation of grace given. And here it's clearly, clearly given. Look at verse 1 with me of chapter 65. I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. Interestingly enough, though Israel sought the Lord, they did so superficially. Israel was constantly moving away from God into idolatry. They were constantly doing pagan practices. And the Lord says, I was sought by those who did not ask for me. Interestingly enough, in the Hebrew, it literally reads, when he says, I was sought by those, it was, I was ready, it reads more like this, I was ready to be found, but no one asked for me. I made myself, I let myself be found, a literal interpretation, by those who did not seek me. Literal Hebrew interpretation. What he is saying here is 
There were some people who were not seeking Him that found Him, but there were people who should have been seeking Him that did not ask for Him. And those who did not ask for Him, that did not find Him, was the nation of Israel. Now you'll see a distinction made here in just a moment between Israel and the faithful remnant of Israel. Two divisions of Israel. But he says, I was found, or literally speaking, I let myself be found by those who did not seek me. That's the Gentiles. That's you and me. The Bible teaches us in the New Testament, there is none that seeketh after God. Romans chapter 9 gives us a wonderful look into this. Romans 9 through 11 and 11 essentially sums it up for us. It says this, that because Israel rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah, God set them aside and He called and made a way for Gentiles to come by faith into Christianity, to be his, in, adopted into His family. Romans chapter 11 says that we are a wild olive branch grafted in. We were not God's chosen people. Israel was. Israel rejected Him. And because they rejected Him, He turned to the Gentiles in that, the Bible says in Romans chapter 11, that they might be made jealous and return to God. Did you know that before you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, He pursued you? You did not wake up one morning and say, I think I will just get saved this morning. The Bible says no man can come unto the Father unless he is drawn. The Holy Spirit was convicting you long before you ever said yes. In some instances, maybe almost eight years. Right, Steve? And that's what he's saying. The ones who should have been seeking him, they were only superficially seeking him while they said, and this is a careful thing that we need to pay attention to today, we serve God. And many people may not mean the God that you and I know as the big G God, the one and true only God. He was ready to be found. He continually revealed Himself to Israel through the prophets, through signs. The Jews require a sign. Through the miracles, Jesus stood and did miracle after miracle after miracle in front of the Jewish people and they still rejected Him. He was making Himself manifest, which means He was revealing Himself. He was making Himself found. Easy to find. But they would not ask for Him. Paul latches on to this in Romans chapter 9 and verse 24. And he says, Even us whom He called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. God knocked on your heart. The Holy Spirit convicted you. You heard the gospel and you believed the gospel and you were placed into the family of God. 
You were adopted as a full-grown child, an heir to the inheritance. He said, here I am, here I am to a nation. Now interesting, this word nation in the Hebrew, it actually means people. But it's never used, this Hebrew word is never used of Israel. It was always used of Gentiles or other nations other than Israel. To a people that was not called by my name. Do you you see what he's saying there? People that were not called Jews. God's chosen people. Do you realize how blessed we are? I'm, we're perhaps 11 hours to, from New York City. It was 11 hours to Istanbul, Turkey. Another hour or 45 minutes or so from Istanbul, Turkey to Tel Aviv by airplane. None of us were Jews. We're that far away from where all this happened. Yet, he called and you answered. He called and you answered. Look at verse 2. God is speaking. He says, I have stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people, Israel. I've stretched my hands out all day long to a rebellious people. The Apostle Paul, again, picks up on this in writing in Romans in that passage I told you from 9 through 11 deals with Israel. And he picks up in in, uh, Romans chapter 10. I'll read it to you. I did not give it to him to put on the screen, but I'll read it to you. It says this. But Isaiah is very bold and says, now listen to me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest. I was revealed to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Paul makes clear that we know who he's talking about. This disobedient people is the nation of Israel. Do you know that rebellion is a serious thing? If you sin and the Holy Spirit convicts you and you confess your sin, the Bible says you're cleansed and forgiven of that sin, right? Rebellion says, I resist authority. I resist authority. I'm not going to do what I have to do to repent. I'm not going to confess. I'm going to be rebellious and I'm going to run away from that. I'm going the other way. So rebellion is a serious thing. As a matter of fact, oftentimes people would talk about church discipline. And they would say, do you practice church discipline? And I've heard some guys, some pastors who abuse their pastoral authority. Listen, you don't, uh, you don't do church discipline because of someone's sin. You discipline them because of their rebellion, their refusal to get that sin right. That's the, that's the grounds for church discipline. You've got to be very, very careful when it comes to that. And he says, I've stretched my hands out to this people. They're rebellious. All day long I've stretched my hands. 
kids were at the beach last week and Chance and Anna and Sophia. And we went to their house when they got home from the beach and we're sitting there for a while and all of a sudden Sophia comes running to me and I opened my arms and Amy made a frown because she came right to me. Sophia understands that when it comes to Paul, there's no such word as no. My kid, my daughters get angry. He said, well, you would have never let us get away with that. I said, hey, you're right. But those arms opened, it's welcoming. God is welcoming the nation of Israel. He's wanting them to run to them in repentance. And they refuse, they're rebellious, they run away from Him. They do not want to run to His arms. Notice what He says about these people who walk in a way that is not good, according to their own thoughts. Have you ever read through the book of Judges? (laughs) Judges. The theme of Judges, every man did what was right in his own eyes. That's bad. That's bad. And they were doing, walking in a way according to their own thoughts. And if you think about it, the human corrupted mind is messed up. For instance, the Denver Nuggets win the national championship. And they go out in the streets and they burn things and five people were shot and killed that week because they won. Someone says, well, Lord, I would have wondered what would happen if they lost. How someone can just take someone's life without any regard. A people, verse 3, who provoke me to anger continually to my face. Who sacrifice in gardens. And burn incense on altars of brick. How did they provoke God? By sacrificing the gardens. They practiced idolatry. They were very precise. And again, Isaiah is looking at the nation of Israel. Not in the future. He's looking at the nation of Israel coming from all their sin up to to the current time of Isaiah. When he talks about sacrifice in gardens, it means they practiced idolatry because there were only certain places where sacrifices could be made. You couldn't have a strange fire. You couldn't go and and, and, uh, sacrifice anywhere you wanted. Listen to this next thing. And burn incense on altars of brick. Remember? There's only certain places and certain parameters for the altars. Look at verse 4. Who sit among the graves and spend the night in tombs. A literal rendering rendering of that is they consulted with the dead. Necromancy. Have you ever heard of uh, Long Island um, medium? Don't raise your hand if you listen to it and you watch it. I'm going to tell you as your pastor, that's an abomination. It's an abomination. God listed this as one of the wicked things that Israel was doing. Um, When I was a kid, Ouija boards were uh, popular. 
some of my friends, the subdivision I lived in, man, it was a great subdivision. There were kids and we got to play and we were, it was just a lot of fun. But one kid suggested, hey, let's play with this Ouija board. Now, I'm just going to tell you straight up. There's something about me. I'm scared of cat. I'm just going to tell you straight up. And I would not do that. Thank God I was in a church that taught that that stuff was not right. And society today glorifies that stuff. Now listen to me. We know. We know that I cannot communicate with my loved ones that are in heaven. That are dead. Some people say, well this is real. Well let me tell you something. Do you know that the Bible teaches that... The, the devil can transform himself as an angel of light. It is my belief that these people who consult the dead are not talking to the dead, but they're literally talking to demons who can take on the identity of your loved one that's gone on to be with the Lord. And it is an abomination to the Lord. They ate... Forbidden swine's flesh. Leviticus 11.7 says it's very clear that they were not supposed to eat pork. When I went to Israel, I could not find bacon anywhere. No bacon. No bacon flavored anything. No bacon flavored dog treats. Nothing. Nothing bacon. You don't even say bacon. It's forbidden. Verse 5, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am holier than you. They were arrogant. They flaunted their idolatry. They flaunted their sin as if they were holy because they participated in that sin. The Lord said, these are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. You know, when I was in basic training, when I was in basic training in, in, in the Army, Fort Dix, New Jersey, we had to go into what they call the tear gas chamber. It was not optional. Anyone here ever have to go through that? Oh, How many of you enjoyed that? When I came out, now this is, pardon my, my crudeness, but when I came out, I was crying, I had snot, I was gagging, I was, they had to run and flop your arms like this because it, the, the actual gas could burn you, and it was the most horrible thing. I remember they, they put your mask on, and they made you go in, they made you lift up your mask, take off your mask, and tell them your name your social security number, and where you were from, and you were, thought you were dying, and you couldn't tell them that. And they made you do that, and you ran out. And I remember, it was horrible. You couldn't. This is what I envision when God says, all of this sin is like smoke in my nostrils. If you have smoke in your nostrils, you can't, you can't breathe. And Lord, Lord is saying, this is what infuriates me. Verse 6, Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silence, but I will repay, even repay into their bosom. In another passage of Scripture, God says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Israel had the notion that many have the notion today, just because no one else knows doesn't mean that God doesn't know. God knows and sees everything. And many people think they can get away with things. 
How do good people fall? How do some of these pastors that were good pastors one time and good uh, political leaders at one time, how did they fall? I'll tell you how they fell. They did something, they didn't get caught, and they got away with it, and they thought they could continually get away with it. But Numbers says, be sure your sins will find you out. Whatever you do in secret will be made open in the light. Verse 7, your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers together. This is one of the sticking points that I argue with my buddy here. This is not just talking about some future thing that happened at the time of, of Isaiah. It be a future thing in A.D. 70 when Jerusalem was overtaken and all such as that. No, he goes back and says fathers, plural, more than one father, talking about more than one father generation. Father Abraham had many sons, many sons. Did. Father Abraham, you know what I'm saying? You remember that song? He is talking about them. Says the Lord. He says, your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers together, they will be coupled together. And they will be repaid. Who have burned incense on the mountains and blasphemed me on the hills. Therefore, I will measure their former work into their bosom. You should be familiar with that term bosom because you remember during the story, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. In Abraham's bosom. You remember that term? Abraham's bosom. It is a conglomeration of them into them. They're, they're the fathers and fathers and fathers that sinned and did these evil practices God will bring them together inside of them. He will repay them. He will repay them. And this is what the Lord says. Verse 8, thus says the Lord. Now, he's going to make another distinction here. As the new wine is found in the cluster. The cluster is Israel. The new wine is the faithful remnant that was praying in 63 and 64. The faithful remnant in the day of Jacob's trouble in the tribulation period that will not bow down, that will not take the mark of the beast, but that stays true and believes in God believes in Christ during the tribulation period. He says they are a new wine. And no one says, do not destroy it, for a blessing is in it. Paul says in, in uh, Romans, I think it's 9, 6, not all of Israel is Israel. What does he mean? People born in, in Israel call themselves Jews or Israelites. There is a national because they are born in Israel. But the Bible tells us that a true Jew is one that's had the heart circumcised. The one by faith that has believed in Christ. They are the true Jew, the true Israel, the true remnant. And there's been a remnant of people who have believed from all the way from 
the beginning all the way through and all the way to the end. And he's making a distinction between this faithful remnant who is out of the cluster of Israel. They were nationally in Israel, but they believed in the Lord. And they're a blessing. And the Lord says, so will I do for my servant's sake that I may not destroy them all. As a matter of fact, Paul asks the question in Romans uh, chapter 10. Let me find it here. Romans chapter 10. He asked this question. He had just said, but the Israel, he says, all day long I stretched out my hands to an obedient and disobedient and contrary people. Verse 11 starts, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. Because his people is not just someone that's born in Israel. His people are those who turn to him in faith and believe him. And it's important because there are people who teach that there are multiple ways to be saved. There's always only ever been one way to be saved and that's faith. Without faith it's impossible to please God. And I'm not going to destroy them all. Now, when he says, I'm not going to destroy them all, that implies that he's going to destroy some of them, correct? Who is he going to destroy? The national Israel. People who are born in Israel, who are Jews by nationality, but not by faith in Christ. They're not part of the faithful remnant if they've not believed in Christ. Now look at verse 9. I will bring forth descendants from Jacob. When will this happen? Jacob's trouble which is the tribulation period. During the tribulation period, this is laid out for us. It's a timeline if you look at it. He talks about the Gentiles during the dispensation of grace which we are in. And now he's talking about the separation of faithful Israel and regular Israel. And when will that distinction finally and forever be made? It will be made in Jacob's trouble in the middle of the tribulation at the end of the tribulation period. And I will bring forth descendants from Jacob, from Judah, an heir of my mountains. My elect shall inherit it. My servants shall dwell there. Sharon shall be a fold of flocks from the western part over near the Mediterranean. And the valley of Achor, a place for herds to lie down in the southeast. It's encompassing all of that. It means all of that territory, all the promised land that God had promised will be theirs. For my people who have sought me, for those who have believed in Him, He made Himself findable and those who believed in Him. Interestingly enough, the two words... Um, well, I'll get to that in a minute. I'll get to that in a minute. I don't want to jump, I'm going to jump ahead of myself. Notice what he says here. Look at verse 11. But you are those who forsake the Lord. He turns back to rebellious Israel. Who forget my holy mountain. Now let's just, just let's keep this in mind. First of all, they forsake. Secondly, they forget God. They prepare a table for Gad. Gad means troop or fortune. 
who was a pagan deity, and who furnished a drink offering for Mene, or Menai, I should say, literally number or destiny, a pagan deity. So those who forsook the Lord for fortune and for destiny, that's what he's saying, who furnished me a drink offering, therefore I will number you for the sword. You know what that means? You're dead. You are dead. And you shall all bow down to the slaughter. Why? Why would God do that? I'll tell you why. Here's the answer. And this is the answer. I've heard this repeated to me thousands and thousands and thousands of times. Why would God send people to hell? God doesn't send people to hell. Verse, tw- uh, verse 12, uh, part B there says, Because when I called, you did not answer. People who die and go to hell do so because they do not answer the call of God knocking at the door of their heart. They don't heed that conviction. They don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So they'll be saved. So he said, rebellious Israel, you have forsaken me. You have forgotten me. (coughs) And because you've done that, because you've done that, you're going to be slaughtered. And ultimately, the reason you did that is because you didn't answer when I called. When I spoke to you, you did not hear, but did evil before my eyes. And chose that in which I do not delight. God does not just wake up one day and say, you know, I don't like this guy, I'm going to send him to hell. No. No, he doesn't. There's a general call, and then there's a specific call. The general call is a man or woman can walk outside and they can look into the heavens and all the creation. The Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 1. And they can see that there is a God. And those who do that and say there is a God, there must be a God, God will send someone to him with the specific revelation, the revelation of his word, the gospel. Verse 13 shows the contrast between the faithful and the unfaithful. Behold, my servants shall eat, faithful remnant. But you shall be hungry, rebellious Israel. Behold, my servants shall drink. But you shall be thirsty, rebellious Israel. Faithful remnant. Behold, my servants shall rejoice. Rebellious Israel, but you shall be ashamed. Behold, my servants shall sing for joy of heart, faithful remnant. But you shall cry for sorrow of heart, rebellious Israel. You wail for grief of spirit. You shall leave your name as a curse to my chosen. One translator has said this. Your name will be a curse word to the chosen. They don't want to hear it. For the Lord God will slay you and call His servants by another name. 
So that he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. And he who swears in the earth shall swear by the God of truth because the former troubles are forgotten and because they are hidden from my eyes. There's a progression. He starts in verse 1. Quickly, I'll go through this. He starts in verse 1 and he talks about the Gentiles who did not pursue God. God pursued them and they believed. That's us. He then talks about Israel and all the things that they had done. And then he talks about the distinction between Israel and the faithful remnant that's going to happen and the separation that's going to take place during the tribulation period. And when those are separated, the blessings that come on the faithful remnant versus all of the damnation that comes on rebellious Israel. And next week, verse 17, he says, Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. He goes on and talks about the kingdom. It is a timeline. And I will tell you this. I will tell you this. If someone comes to faith in Christ... It is because the Father has revealed Himself. It's because He has made Himself noble to that person. And through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, they hear the gospel, they believe, and they are saved. And what awaits the one who believes in the Lord? Blessing after blessing after blessing. What waits damnation, rebellious Israel or rebellious even Americans that are rebellious and refuse and reject the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and they die and they go to hell without being saved, what awaits them? Damnation. Remember the rich man being in torment? Ask for Abraham, ask for just a touch, a drop of water on his tongue because of the, the thirst. Where the fire was not quenched and the worm dieth not. We are blessed. And we are blessed not because we're good. But because God's good. And He pursued us. I love it. Just about the time in John chapter 15 when the disciples are getting kind of, you know, feeling kind of good. Things are going well. They're getting a little cocky. And Jesus looks at them and says, hey, wait a minute. You did not choose me. I chose you. Lest we all think that we do something great that because we're so super Christian here. Let me tell you something. <laughs> it's not by works of righteousness that we have done. It's only by grace through faith. If you have never believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are here and you have never turned to Him in faith, believing that He died on the cross for your sins, that He was buried and He rose from the grave, and that if you will come to Him and abandon everything else and believe in Him and His work alone, you will be saved. If you've never done that, I invite you to come. You don't have to come to the altar. You don't have to do all this. You have to simply acknowledge that you are a sinner, that you need God, and you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, believing that He died for you. He is the Son of God. He died for you on the cross. And you're believing in Him 
and that, that what he did on the cross to take you to heaven, you'll be saved. Church, we are so, so blessed. <laughs>